Hello, I'm Kelly McGee, and today's day is 9-2-2020, and we're listening to The Real Space Program with David Wilcock and Corey Good. This is the last part. The mine calendar end date. And then the farmer tried to desecrate the crop circle by draw, drawing these three lines through the middle of it, And then the beings say, oh, you don't like crop circles? Well, here, let's come back and we'll give you twice as many. They drew another solar system ring next to the first one, but there's nothing inside. But the most important point is that this formation that illustrates the end of the year 2012, the sun, when they redid the crop circle, when they came back and redid it, they widened the diameter of the sun all the way out to the orbit of Venus. And to me, this clearly was prophetic, suggesting that there would be some kind of solar energy release at the end of the year 2012. So I'm out there as a Law of One scholar, earnestly trying to raise awareness about 2012. As you guys probably know, 2012 was my main platform from like 2008 onward. But that kind of builds a flaw into the system because if nothing happens in 2012, you're basically effed, right? So, of course, December 21st comes and goes, nothing happens, and it wasn't until you got the year 2013 comes and goes, 2014 comes and goes, I basically kind of felt like I'd gotten washed out of the conference circuit, people were so mad about 2012 not happening, I took the job with Gaia starting in 2013, I'm like, well, I gotta have another source of income, because conferences aren't going to work anymore, everybody's mad at me, so I started to do the Gaia stuff, And I was very happy to have a steady job because, honestly, I didn't know what was going to happen. 2012, when the bottom fell out on that, it was like, wow. But then, Corey gets contacted in 2015, so it took a little over two years. And they start explaining that these giant spheres were brought into our solar system because we were not ready for the solar flash. It would have happened in 2012, but they needed to hold it off. And one last thing I want to toss in here before it goes back to Corey, because again, it was going to be my stage anyway after nine o'clock, but I, and I, I do like to talk. Okay, let's just be honest, right? I, and you love to hear it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's more fun if you get to hear from both of us, and I'm not just a question-making Pez dispenser. Okay? So, anyway... As I looked at this material, as I studied the 2012 subject, I realized as the year 2012 was going by, man, we are not ready. I had this whole prophetic outline that I'd gotten in dreams in my own form of psyche readings starting in 1996, where I had clearly seen that there was going to be some kind of alliance from within the military industrial complex itself that would expose and defeat the deep state Illuminati cabal. That we were going to have disclosure, that we were going to, yes. See, I was, I was telling Elizabeth, you gotta, you got to make a rhythmic statement in your voice, and that's when they applaud. If you just do it like this, bang, they start applauding. <laughs> but if I get people so tripped out that they're like, <laughs> then they don't, they don't necessarily clap right away, so just, just be advised it doesn't always work but we're going to find out tomorrow elizabeth is speaking tomorrow i may introduce her 
Make sure you're there for that. She's going to rock the house on the Divine Feminine. All right. Anyway, getting back to this 2012 issue, I knew there was a formula of what we were supposed to see before the solar flash took place. And I became very concerned in 2012 because we didn't have disclosure. We didn't have the exposure of the cabal. All of these things, there was no mass awakening going on. I said, something's wrong here. And I was actually relieved in a way that the solar flash did not happen. But I hadn't understood what the sun cruises were or any of this kind of stuff. But I knew we were expecting a solar flash and I knew that it would be this game changer dimensional shift event as the crop circles and as the law of one had indicated. So what was so cool was that even from this very first time that you were up there in front of these people, the beings were saying that they, that they brought in these gigantic spheres to literally hold back the solar flash until we as a planet were ready for this to occur, that enough people would get what they needed from this. Exactly. They stated that it was attenuating the energies that were coming out of the sun. And there, yeah. And you also were, were ultimately given visions of this whole matrix of these spheres in a very geometric pattern. Yes. And, and you saw how the, 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 the sun was wanting to do this and the spheres were absorbing the energy. Yes, and the spheres began to pour in earnest into our solar system at the end of 2011. So, Well, there was some around that period that I saw them on Kent Stedman's site because you had said that, right? So let's talk about that for a second. Right, they, um, they stated that the sphere, there, since the 30s, that some of these spheres had been in place, but that since the 1930s, they had been building up um, uh, to a point to where by 2012, they would be able to attenuate um, the energies and, and hold off the solar flash. So, so that we could be ready for the harvest. And you also said that there would be, you said that a lot more of these spheres started to come in in 2011. Yes, in 20, they, they just started pouring in now, in 2011. Now, I probably remember your testimony better than you do probably. at this point, which which is fine. I have the 180 IQ, right? So there you go. Which, which people say means I have Asperger's syndrome or something, right? Well, I've never seen any Asperger's come out. I don't know what that is. You can be an Asperger. <laughs> I'm just a meadow muffin outgassing on stage, flapping my gums. There you go. Anyway, the spheres coming into our solar system in 2012, I remember you telling me, was of key concern to the people at this meeting because they would not respond to any type of hailing. So why don't you talk about that? That's right. When these spheres started coming in, from the sun, but also from our um, from outside of the uh, or cloud, or cloud um, we were hailing them, and they were ig completely ignoring all hails, pretending that the ships that were approaching them, I mean, it, they just didn't acknowledge them whatsoever. And of course, given the fact that these are literally, in some cases, the size of Jupiter, right? You said there yes. was three different sizes, from the moon size, like Earth's moon, up to Jupiter size. Right. This could be tantamount to an absolutely effing massive invasion. alien invasion. Absolutely. Right? So everybody's freaked out. And you had, I hadn't heard this information. You had talked about an intruder 
spaceship the size of a planet right. that had uh, is that Pete Peterson information or was I think they called it the Sentinel or something like that. It, it happened in the in the mid '80s during Reagan's administration that this giant uh, thing that kind of looked like a soccer ball, like you know how there's lines over the surface of a soccer ball. Well, this had that, and. It had a, a door, a spherical door that opened like an iris on it. That the, the opening, the circle, was 800 miles wide. Okay, that's how big this thing was. It's just a little door on the thing that opened up. And all these crazy ships are coming out of that hole. And this thing comes in. They tracked it coming in. It starts to circle Pluto. It starts to circle Neptune. It circled Uranus. I'm only going to pronounce it that way. Okay? That's all we're doing. I swear. Let's just let that one sit for a second. Okay, fair enough. We're not going to talk about Klingons or any of that kind of thing. You know? Oh, man. He's dying on stage. David Wilcock is dying on stage. It's all good, though. They were very afraid. They were very, very afraid of this thing they called the Sentinel. And my insider, Jacob, said uh, it was a bunch of a-hole galactic tourists, and we told them to F off. That was his secret space program, Illuminati take on the Sentinel. So that was the first sphere the experience for them peaked, I believe, in 1987, somewhere around there, is when it finally came to a head. But anyway, it wasn't until the late 1990s that more of these spheres started to come in. And I don't know if they had the same soccer ball geometric lines around the outside, like the Sentinel did or not. That was never made clear. But they certainly glowed as brightly as the planets did. And then, in many, many cases, when SOHO satellite would capture these images, there'd be an image detector sensor malfunction, right? And for some reason, now SOHO goes down. And so that was one of the things Ken Stedman was doing, is he would notice every time these things would come in, SOHO would mysteriously malfunction at the same time. And so this was this should have been a really big deal, but no, none of the main ufologists at the time, because I was a nobody back then. I had a little bitty website. Nobody was really reading it, uh, and I wasn't even covering this topic. But none of the big ufologists were getting into this. Why are these planet-sized objects showing up in our solar system? You can clearly see them on SOHO. You can clearly compare them to the planets. We know they're the same size. They're moving around. They're doing weird stuff. And when they would show up, SOHO would malfunction. And it would somehow not be creating images anymore. And so all of this built up to this momentous meeting where, for the first time, these blue avians apparently introduced themselves you said based on the shock reaction they had, it wasn't like they'd seen this particular group before. I hadn't either. Like I said, I wouldn't even tell you what these beings look like because I was embarrassed. I was. Yeah, I, yeah. I had seen all these different types of beings, heard of all these different types of beings, never bluebirds. So it took you forever. It took a long time for me to tell you what these beings yeah. look like. So when, when they were asked, are you the Ra from the Law of One? And the answer is, I am Ra, basically. It's like, okay. I knew right off the bat, this is fascinating because 
And then you started trying to convince me about the raw. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I I, I was like, dude, um, this is this is bigger than you might realize. Okay, these guys appear to be the main extraterrestrial group that basically makes sure that we're going to go through the ascension. And now we're getting all this additional information, including what kind of amounted to an apology for why it wasn't 2012 that had basically, for a little while, ruined my career because yeah, I was the big 2012 yeah, guy. They did say, tell David we said sorry. They did? <laughs> no. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn it. I really was hinging on that. Okay. All right, it's 10 o'clock. You guys want us to keep talking or are you bored and want to go home? Okay, we'll keep talking. You're going to have to talk about Tompkins again while I go to the restroom. I'm drowning in the water. That's true. I could I could use a restroom trip. What, what are you saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. So so just to set this up, if, if you guys, are you guys ready in the back? Raise your hand if you're ready to play the clip. You're going to run to the restroom again? Man, how much piss is in there? Jesus, dude. I haven't gone once. Okay. So they're ready to line this up. This will give Corey a chance to go to the bathroom. I could actually use it as well. I mean, honest to God, I feel like I'm in a fishbowl right now. Hey, just being perfectly honest, a yellow fishbowl. So we'll, I'll do that afterwards. I, I'm very careful not to drink too much water on stage. Anyway, um, check this out. Because wait a this minute, is... wait a minute. Did it, did it just take like an hour and a half to play that clip? I was, just, I was out here like 40 minutes ago. What happened? What it's all coming... It's all coming to a head, bro. David's talking a lot, right? I talk a lot. I like to Let's talk. Let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I will actually, can we can we play that clip? I think we can. I'm gonna so, I'm gonna pretend like I'm Corey for a second until this clip gets played. That's a little scary, but okay. Here we go. Wow, check it out. Oh, I haven't even seen this one. So this is awesome. This is like the dark craft landing in his backyard. This is all Renee, right? Renee Arnold. Yeah, I believe this. so. This is amazing, Renee. Wherever you are, I can't see you right now. There you are. So now we know there's this lady freaking out in the back, all excited, up until she flies down into the moon, at which point she gets really disturbed. Oh, yeah, this is definitely extended. There's a lot more going on here. It's number 25. That's good to know. You know, that's some intel we can use. Dart number 25. <laughs> it's got red and green on the back. I guess that's sort of like port and starboard or something. But this is the part where they're flying over and then the woman freaks out because there's a hole in the lunar surface that he's about to go plunging vertically down into. And there's your Nazi, that's the Nazi swastika with the extra build out around the, the outside of it. Originally was just a swastika. And so now they're flying in, and pretty quick here, this is the part where she, yeah, as they're going down vertically, she's they're around the inside of the crater rim here, and we're going to see how they fly down through the hole in a moment. Yeah, there's the hole. So this is where she really freaked out because they vertically plunged down. Now that's the side of the, of the base on the inside. And it is massive. Apparently I've been here, but I don't remember any of this stuff yet. And so he, Corey can't tell me all the things that he actually knows about my experiences here. I still have not recovered these memories. 
Well, there you have it. That's the whole clip. Hey, Over let's give it up Mecha. for Renee, you guys. Yeah. It's a great animation. Big round of applause. So awesome. So, so while we're waiting for Corey to relieve himself uh, for the second time, very unprofessional. You got to hold your piss, man, I tell you. <laughs> you had to go twice as well? Hey, man, I'm 50 years old. Well, you're actually 105, but that's another story. 110, he's counting. Or no, now you'd be 110, right? Because you got 320 in vax, that's 50 plus 60, so you're 110 years old. Give him a big round of applause, 110 year old man. (laughs) I have a 110 year old prostate. That's true, that's true. So, yeah, he looks good for 110, huh? Looks pretty darn good. Anyway, um, I'll get you talking about something so then I can go do the same thing so I'm not in a fishbowl anymore. That'll make this a lot more comfortable. So, uh, why don't we, why don't you just go through a little more about the types of questions that they were asking you and how in some cases you literally did not even understand the answers. And then I'll duck out here while you do that. Well, that gives me like 30 seconds of material because I don't remember. Oh, you don't remember. Okay. (laughs) I didn't understand the questions. All right. Well, let's go back to tell, tell them the story about your daughter and the little sketch that was on your hand. Okay. Because that's funny. And then I'll I'll come back right away. All right. So the night before I was supposed to go to the LOC, my daughter wanted to paint my face. Um, She was painting animal faces. And, uh, I told her no. I had a meeting the next day, and I didn't uh, want the paint on my face, so she wanted to paint my hand instead. And she painted a green dinosaur on my hand. And uh, I didn't think any- anything of it until I was standing at the LOC on the stage, and I was starting to get heckled. And at the same time, when they asked me to t- remove my cover, and, and, and I threw it to the side, one of them asked, why do you have a reptilian on your hand? And I looked down, and it was, it was obviously a dinosaur. And I tried to wipe it off, and I couldn't, but uh, they were very curious as to why I had a reptilian on my hand. So Now, uh, I can give David crap about going to the bathroom. <laughs> The questions? Well, that's the thing. They were asking questions. Some of them were asking very deep scientific questions, like mathematical questions about uh, certain cosmological constants. Uh, how come this and this uh, did not match up? And uh, some of the answers were coming back. Uh, you know, uh, you're the your understanding of the nature of the universe is uh, incorrect. And they were having me explain that uh, the universe is a giant torus and, uh, you know, that it's spinning in within on itself and that we don't have a, a view of the full universe and that parts of the universe are traveling faster than the speed of light and uh, as, as they are rounding this Taurus, and there's just a lot that we are unable to see. And um, there, were, there were a lot of scientific questions, 
military type questions about uh, different beings and in, in different regions of space but I, I had no idea what I was answering and the words were coming from tear air directly just through me as, as, I, as I would as I would hear them they would immediately I didn't have to think to speak it just it just happened so uh, just for everyone how did you feel during all of this you, you can explain like how you felt what was your experience seeing a blue avian for the first time like how did how did it feel being in front of that well you don't believe your eyes obviously you're, you're there's some sort of cognitive dissonance that occurs but one of the weirdest things is when the blue avians are communicating through me I I have this rush of intense love and my eye, I'm, it's like I'm crying the whole time. Tears are just streaming down and I can no longer really see uh, who I'm talking, the audience. If they were to communicate through me right now, tears just stream uncontrollably as, uh, as I'm communicating. Uh, it's a, uh, their, their vibe, their the love that they have it, it just overcomes you a lot of the changes that have occurred in me occurred when I interfaced with RE but they stated that most of the changes that would occur in me would occur just because of me being in proximity to these energies and the effect that they have on my consciousness Now it's back. Now it's back. Okay. Thank you. Thank you back there. So um, I really think that one of the paramount questions that's on everyone's mind, and we've never really done this in front of an audience before, but it's so important, is, okay, so the 2012 event, that the beautifully gorgeous Mayan calendar with all of its mathematical sophistication, its connections to planetary cycles, its connections to the 25,000 year cycle. It said December 21st, 2012. The crop circle from 2008 said December 21st, 2012. The solar flash, the sun widens out to Venus. The law of one says it's an appropriate, probable, possible vortex the year 2011. Everybody really, I think, one of the questions that's on everybody's mind is, okay, when is this thing going to happen, and and how? Do, what's the science behind it? What do we know about that? Well, some of the science behind it has to do with the cycles and the cycles of the sun itself, um, and the cycles of the sun have to do with um, planets within our um, solar system. When they're in a certain alignment, it it seems to kick in the uh, solar minimum. Uh, they've they've learned more recently and they're hoping now, who's they they okay, they being scientists that study the cycles of the sun recently they've correlated that um, certain a certain planetary alignment occurs when the sun goes in and out of um, solar minimum and solar maximum and they're hoping oh. and they've never been able to predict when solar minimum would occur right but they're hoping with this a new formula that they're they're going to this this time they're going to see when we come out of uh, solar 
minimum, they're going to see if it correlates exactly with these, this planetary alignment that they've been tracking. And after that, they'll be able to uh, predict uh, from then on out when these will occur. But um, the so um, since it didn't happen in 2012, they stated they uh, being um, uh, the scientists in the programs that these they classified projects, these classified projects, they believed that the next probable and most likely time that this solar flash would occur would be when we came out of solar minimum. And we were, we are just going into solar minimum now. Okay. So then with that information in hand, uh, given the fact that the solar cycle itself, in case you guys don't know this, somebody in the audience might not know this, the sun goes from a very smooth surface where there's no sunspots, there's no visible activity, and that's solar minimum. And then over the course of 11 years, it builds up to what they call solar maximum, where at that point you now have all kinds of solar flares going on, coronal mass ejections going on, all these sunspots. The sun's surface becomes very, very active. And if you look at two pictures side by side between solar minimum and solar maximum, they couldn't be more dissimilar. So what you have been hearing is that they concluded that the solar flash, based on the energetic release of what they're now calling in the scientific community, they're calling it a micronova, yes. right? That's micronova. another thing we can talk about. Uh, that and they started talking about micronovas after you and after I... After we started talking about right. it, right. So here's another really, really cool thing. Um, I was doing an event at Estes Park, Colorado. Some of you were there. <laughs> well, you were there. Yeah, I know that. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, I was presenting on some new research that had literally just come out about our closest major star neighbor, which is Alpha Centauri, which is actually a collection of three stars, right? And the smaller of the three is called Proxima Centauri. And Proxima Centauri had a solar flash. And in this solar flash, it was about 10 seconds long but it released like 10,000 times more energy than it normally would. It was so massive that they actually believe that the amount of energy that hit this Proxima B planet would have scorched off any life that could have existed on the planet. Or some of the scientists were saying this. And Proxima B had been an interesting case because... Stephen Hawking had, had designed this, this sail, this big aluminum foil kite that's supposed to be hit with a laser. He believed he could get it up to nearly light speed and that we could send this probe over to Proxima B to see if there was life on that planet. And they had pumped that up in the media and then, oops, Proxima has this big solar sneeze using William Tompkins languaging. And now it looks like, well, there's probably, if there was any life on the planet, it didn't work. So then, it was while Corey was there in the audience, you got the idea, and I have to give you credit for this, that because the speed of light, that Alpha Centauri, Proxima Centauri, is 4.3 light years away, that when we saw the solar flash, wasn't the actual time that you had to dial it back 4.3 years in the past. Well, right on stage, I did the numbers, and wouldn't you know, 
that the closest star to us had a solar flash in December 2012, based on the speed of light. That is effing amazing. Okay? Because, like, wait a minute. One of the things that you were talking about over the years is that all of the stars around us are all gravitationally interacting. Could you talk about that grouping a little bit? Yeah, there's a, a few Google. I believe they call it the local stellar neighborhood. Um, and in the programs, they called it the local star cluster. But it's a cluster of approximately 52 stars that are held together in a gravita gravitational eddy of sorts. And um, the Earth is in the middle of all of them. And um, it's in a... Well, our whole solar system, our, yeah. Yeah, our whole... Yeah, I meant to say, yeah. The solar system is in, is in the middle. And if, if you look at... They have imagery, and you can see um, there is like a, a tube, a electromagnetic tube that's out kind of in the middle of nowhere, and it's out past our star. And that electromagnetic filament tube that we, it's kind of translucent is actually a piece of the cosmic web it, it is a, visu a visual representation i guess of the cosmic web which exists in subspace and connects every star and every planet with an electromagnetic filament and it's through those electromagnetic filaments that you travel in a stargate And yeah, it's it's very interesting. My wife Elizabeth and I, uh, we, we started watching the Star Trek Discovery series on CBS All Access, which is their own uh, subscriber network. It's the only way you can watch the show. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but they use the mycelial network. They call it the mycelial network, and they say it's alive and organic, and that they, they have spore travel, where... They, they actually using these sort of psychedelic cosmic spores to travel through this living web of energy. And it, it definitely would appear that they borrowed that from us without credit. <laughs> What, what's interesting is I've talked with people who, who have taken DMT and, and other um, types of... I have a friend who took DMT. Yeah. And, and, but you hear them talk about seeing this translucent matrix. Oh, they talk about it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Your friends talked about it. Yeah. I get it. I get where this is going, folks. I do get this. Okay. That's how you Fair see enough. the blue avians, right? <laughs> It's a trip. So anyway, my point is that... Okay, so let's, let's just talk some Russian science real quick, which is the work of Dr. Nikolai Kozarev. One of the really fascinating things that this Russian scientist came up with. First of all, most of the stars out there are binary stars. They're almost always binary. In fact, in the law of one, it says that every star system is binary, at least, or, or more than two. And there's various reasons for that that I could talk about at length. But anyway, uh, in this binary star system, Dr. Nikolai Kozarev was observing that these two stars mirrored each other and even things like light fluctuations where both stars have a sudden fluctuation in their brightness output. And the timing of the brightness change was so spontaneous between the two that it could not have been traveling at light speed. It had to be traveling instantaneously because light speed 
would take years to go from one star to another, but yet both the stars would flicker at the same time, indicating that there's some sort of instantaneous communication between these nearby stars. So isn't it interesting that the law that the law of one and the mind calendar and this crop circle and a whole lot of other stuff pointed towards the natural end of our cycle is 2012. It appears that this cycle ending is caused to a large degree by the effect of two stars orbiting each other and their energetic fields coming and co-mingling. Electromagnetic friction. Right. So then, right on time, our closest star has a solar flash at the end of the Mayan calendar. That, to me, is of such enormous towering significance that it appears now that the only reason why we haven't had our own solar flash yet is this massive armada of spheres brought in by this extraterrestrial group that is literally responsible for our ascension to make sure it goes smoothly, holding it off. Which is so amazing, actually, that, that we've been given this extra time that, and, and, and this really is on our shoulders. We as a community, not just Corey and me, but it also is you. That we have this information and we're all doing our part to try to get people ready for this. Because honest to gosh, if there's going to be an ascension, if we're going to be activating our light bodies, and some people are going to make it, some people are not going to make it, what could possibly be more important than knowing about this, preparing yourself for this, and helping prepare others for this, right? Do you agree? There you go. So... Based on your conversations with Kari and other other beings that you've spoken with, they know that most people on Earth are not going to believe us. They know that most people on Earth are not going to hear this. They're not expecting us to become some sort of world-famous people who are talked about by everyone, right? But we just have to put the message out for those who are ready to receive it. So I want to drill in specifically now on the anticipated year or years that are currently being seen as most likely for when this solar flash could take place. Let's talk about that. So that's the tricky part. When do we come out of solar minimum? Um, Scientists do not know when we've come out of solar minimum until six months after, until they've had an opportunity to do the calculations. So... Um, the in solar minimum can last anywhere from nine to eleven years, you know, for the uh, the actual cycle. So it just there's no way of knowing for sure. But if we j- just went into solar minimum, let's say this year, then it looks like nine to eleven years from that point is when we would come out of solar minimum, and then that's when they believe that the solar uh, uh, sneeze, as Tompkins called it, would happen. Right. So basically, we're looking at a window most likely in the neighborhood of 2029 or 2030. So we have about 10 years to prepare ourselves for this. And they were watching very closely as we went into solar minimum because they thought that could be another point when the uh, micronova could occur. And they saw that we went far enough into the process of solar minimum that they're not worried about it occurring until the further time period you're talking about when we come out. Right. Now you also 
I've, I've, I'm working on a book right now. It's been very amazing for me. This, this book I'm writing is called Awakening in the Dream. And uh, we were going to try to get it out in December, but it looks like we are going to have to push the release date forward a little bit. Um, but, you know, hang in there because it's going to be so worth it once this book comes out. I've gone through all the early phase of my, when I started to write my dreams down, when I started to have readings happening, and I've had literally the mother of all time loops. Everything that's going on right now, the people I know, the events that are taking place, where I live, what I'm doing, was all very precisely described. There's over 35 instances of this in dreams I had written down in notebooks, college notebooks from 1994, 95, and 96. It's amazing. And I've had many, many cases where my dreams seem to be completely unbound by linear time. They already knew all these things that were going to happen to me. They had already predicted that we would be working with Gaim TV. Back in 1996, one of the very first written prophecies I had, it said, uh, homeopathic TV. Think of Art Bell doing yoga. <laughs> right? It was a joke. In 1996, and the first show that I did on Gaia was with George Norrie, who was Art Bell's replacement. At the time, Gaia was a yoga network. It's unbelievable. And then homeopathic TV. It was, at the time, it was called Gaia TV. And then it said apples and oranges can be a pair, you know, and that seemed to be a reference to Corey and me. Because in some ways, we're very different people, you know. That's certainly true, but we've... We've come together for this mission, and, and I'm very grateful for that. So there's so many amazing prophecies. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> How are we doing on time here? You got five minutes? Okay. We do have kind of a hard out here that we have to do in five minutes, but I wanted to make sure we got into this. Well, and I have to say something real quick. Okay. I have never seen you so blown away as when you started pointing out these 20-year time loops, oh, the 1977, 96, all of these things that kept popping in. I've never seen you so uh, shocked and blown away. Yeah, and it's also interesting. I mean, you'll notice I have, I have a tan, really. I, I never used to go out in the sun. I've been spending literally days out on my land in Colorado pulling uh, thistle weeds out of, the, out of the ground. I still have a really nasty thistle embedded in the spike embedded in my thumb here but i mean there's something so profound about going out in nature and getting your hands in the soil and the kind of cleansing of your soul that happens and so much of the trauma of living in third density and the pain that i felt and the uncertainty and not really feeling appreciated not really feeling like this mission was was getting what we needed to get out of it you know, and it says in the law of one, we're not concerned about numbers or quick growth. If one person hears this message, that is enough. Because to reach one is to reach all. That's right. We are still working on a lot of really cool initiatives that should help us to get the message out on a much larger level. Uh, I just did this amazing taping just actually yesterday, believe it or not for our new movie, The Cosmic Secret, and literally built the whole narrative. I mean, they were practically in tears, honest to God. It was so amazing. We, we, we had 40 minutes on each card, and over the course of about five cards, I basically just built the whole movie. And the movie's coming out really soon, by the way. What, what is the supposed release? It's like, November, I believe. Is it November? 
November. Okay, so you're not going to have to wait very long. It's it's kind of like the sequel to Above Majestic. We've got some really great production coming into that movie. So you definitely want to check out Cosmic Seeker when it comes out. You will not be disappointed. It's going to get a lot more into Ascension, a lot more into the spiritual aspects of this. But I really want to focus in, in the last few minutes that we have here, on this concept of the fact that these beings are outside of time. That they can see the future just as clearly as you and I can read the pages of a book. And one of the things that I find so exciting is the Anshar, the inner earth people that you claim to have been in contact with that many others have reported. You know, they're called the Midwayers or they're called the Tall Whites or they're called the Nordics. There's different names for them. That they told us that we are going to get our freedom, that we are going to see freedom happen on earth before the solar flash. Big round of applause for that. So... So, so just because these beings tend to be so accurate, there's no point in us being afraid of putting this prophecy on public record. Do you remember, that's the first question, do you remember what they told you about what's coming in our future even before the solar flash, what we're going to see over the next two or three years? I don't remember exactly what you're referring to. I knew it, man. <laughs> Come on, this is your platform, bro. I'll, I'll remember as soon as you... Okay, you'll remember when I tell you. We did document this publicly before. That what we're going to see, thanks to, and to, to no small degree, the efforts that you and I made, despite the, the, the horror that it caused us in our personal lives and professionally and publicly and all this stuff, that because of the fight that we've all been doing together, that we are going to see disclosure, right? That so much of this material that has been suppressed is going to come out into the public eye. And that we are actually going to get our freedom. Sometime within the next, like, two and a half years, I believe is what they said, right? Yeah, right. give it a big round of applause for that. Right. And, and mo much of it had to do with disclosures that were coming out. And we're not talking about just ET disclosures. We're talking about disclosures about how this planet has been run behind our back. And uh, uh, that type of information is going to come out and awaken more people. And the more... Uh, conspiracy theory becomes conspiracy fact, uh, the more people are going to come looking at our information, uh, the deeper, right. deeper information. They're going to look at the surface information, the surface conspiracy theory information at first, especially when uh, the AG report comes, the IG report comes out oh, I know. And, and a few other things. You know, that's going to be, everyone's been told on mainstream media that this is conspiracy theory. It's BS. Right. And, and Like Rachel Maddow. <laughs> right. Right. And when we see it in black and white, we're going to say, okay, that wasn't BS. What else is being called conspiracy theory that's not BS? Right. And I mean, what kind of stuff in. are they pulling out of Jeffrey Epstein's house right now, for God's yeah. sake? I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. And they clearly seem to have had an underground base on that island. That was oh. one of the things QAnon was posting, is these yes. doors in the side of a cliff. Yeah. So, so, folks, I mean, we are on the verge of the release of such contentious information. And there's over 500 pieces of evidence in QAnon that it was being generated by the current pres presidential administration. So once that happens, we go back to September 19th, 2018, when they actually said that secret space programs do exist outside the public domain. They have given us a tool, folks, where we can demand 
once this is known to have come from the administration and what they've been doing, that they're going to expose all these satanic pedophile rings, we can demand the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, guys. They were like, go up there. Sorry. But wasn't that incredible, you guys? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, everybody. I I know. I'm so... Yeah, I was like, I'm sure this could go on forever, but it's not our fault. They're like, you got to get up there. We do have a hard out tonight. Don't don't shoot the messengers, guys. But hey, so we gave Corey a shirt yesterday. But we have a shirt for David today. All right. Stock, so we just want to. I assume it's a Fallon well, Gong well, shirt, this right? One, will this one infringe on his <laughs> trademarks? You're going to like this, David. trademarks. Okay, so David's always talking about the cabal, right, guys? Well, we got him a shirt. Kick, Kick him, him in, in the, the cabals. cabals. All right. All right. Hope you like it, David. I love it, man. Hey, so. <laughs> Let's give these guys a round of applause, yes, everyone. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Just, oh, incredible. It's, this is awesome. It's just so amazing. So actually, the, the live chat's been really interesting back there. I've been on with them, and after I told them I was giving you a shirt, the next thing they said is they wanted me to design a pair of socks called David Will Socks. <laughs> those are, those are going to be on the Edge of Wonder site really soon, All I right. promise. <laughs> Do I get a cut or what? Oh, you're definitely getting a cut. Of Come on, you're using my IP, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, just kidding, you guys, but thank you guys very much. Now, listen, all you guys that are here, the the crew needs to completely clear the room, so don't leave anything in here. We don't want to get anything to get thrown out, and uh, we love you guys, so thank you very much. Yeah, and I'm going to be around tomorrow, see my wife's talk, and I'm going to be here. We'll, we'll, we'll do some meet and greet right now. We do need to get out of here quick because I still haven't had dinner. And wow. it only goes till 11 at the other hotel I'm staying at. So. Wow, okay. Yeah. And, and I guess we'll see like maybe like 10 we'll people here tomorrow. tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for yeah. our presentation. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you guys, I forgot to tell you. They were nice enough to give us the the best time slot for our oh, yeah. presentation at 8 a.m. on Sunday primo, morning. Man. Because the conference organizers knew that you guys weren't going to be partying tonight. Thank you, conference organizers. <laughs> so we'll see five people here tomorrow at 8 a.m. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night. A lot more to come. (laughs) Okay. That's it. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I actually um, haven't had a chance to listen to him for a while. And so um, it was interesting. Some some of the things that he said, um, I have to verify through other sources, but... It was interesting. I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, have a nice evening. Bye-bye.